Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and you'll hold your hand there. I want to talk to you today about sacrifice. The importance of sacrifice. And we're going to look at different Bible stories about sacrifice. And some of you might say, well, I don't understand what you're talking about sacrifice because uh, Jesus died on the cross and he was our sacrifice. Therefore, we don't have any other sacrifices. We don't offer the blood of bulls or calves or anything else like that. So what do you mean about sacrifice? Well, the Lord tells us that even though Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice, he calls on all of us to live continuously in sacrifice. There in Hebrews chapter 13, it says this in verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So, here in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that we are to offer sacrifices. It tells us that we're in our life continually offer sacrifices. But to, to understand what it means to sacrifice and, and what it means while you offer that sacrifice, I want to take you back and talk about three stories in the Bible that focus on the mountain of sacrifice. You remember what the mountain of sacrifice was? You remember where that place? It's called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. And so I want to focus on three events that happened on Mount Moriah all having to do with sacrifice. And so we're going to do a little geography lesson along with theology lesson today. The first story I want you to see is found in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 is when Abraham, that great man of faith, who has now received that son of promise, Isaac, through Sarah, he is confronted by God and God tells him in chapter 22, I want you to take now your son... Your only son, that son of promise, Isaac. And I want you to go to the mountains of Moriah. I want you to go to the mountains of Moriah. And there I will show you a place, a mountain, where I want you, listen now, I want you to sacrifice on the altar of sacrifice your son, that son Isaac. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine God asking Abraham, who has waited for this son, and now at 100 years of age, he's received this son that's going to be the basis how he's going to have a lineage, as many as the sand of the seashore, the stars of the sky. Could you imagine the fact that God would say to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go to the mountain of Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. What would you have done? Well, one of the things I would have done is I'd had to have God say that about three or four times. What about you? I'd have him have to convince me about that. Not Abraham. Abraham immediately heard it and immediately responded. Matter of fact, if you read that story, it says he gets up early the, the next day and heads out to the mountain of Moriah with his servants and Isaac. He gets up early the next day to go and to do that? Yes. Why? Because Abraham is willing to do whatever God said. He's willing to do whatever God says. And, and so he takes Isaac and his servants and, and he takes them to head towards the mountain. And when they get to the foot of that mountain that God had given to him, distinguished for him, he says to his servants, you stay here. The boy and I, we will travel up and we'll go up to the mountain. 
We will worship and we will return. We will worship and we will return. We'll worship. Well, that's going to be a sacrifice of Isaac. But he said this, we're going to return. This boy is going to have to live. If God requires of me that I kill him, God will just have to raise him up because he has to be alive because he's going to be the the father of many nations. He's going to be the child of promise. It has to happen. So he gets up and he goes up there. And as they're traveling, Isaac asks him the question. He says, he said, Dad, he said, I see the knife we've gotten and I see the wood and I see the, I see it. But the one thing I don't see about this is where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says to him, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. They go up to that mountain, they prepare the altar, and he takes Isaac, binds him, places him on the altar, and is about to take the knife and plunge it into his heart. When the angel of the Lord says, stop, stop, for I know, we know, we understand that you do love God and you will be obedient to God no matter what God tells you to do. We know that you're dedicated and servant of God and therefore you do not have to take his life, but, but God will provide a sacrifice. And you remember how he provided that sacrifice? There was a ram who was there stuck in a thicket and he goes and gets that ram. He kills the ram on the altar of sacrifice. They worship the Lord God and they come back just as he said. They come back together with those servants and make their way home. And it's called the mountain of God's provision that the Lord God, Jehovah Jireh, will provide. That is the first experience you find on Mount Moriah, the mountain of sacrifice. And there are two expressions, two things that you need to learn about that expression of sacrifice. What, what is sacrifice? The first expression of sacrifice is this. It is worship. Sacrifice is worship. It is saying that I love God to the point that I feel he is worthy. And my love for him says it's such wor- he is so worthy. I'll do anything he asks of me to do. I'll give of him anything he asks of me to give. Worship, I mean, sacrifice, the expression of our worship for God. And boy, didn't Abraham worship? Didn't he honor the Lord God? The angels of God said, man, we see how much you love God. We see how much you honor him. We see how much you'll do for him. We understand now love you have for him. So it's an expression of worship. It's also an expression of faith. Sacrifice is an expression of faith. When he goes up there, he has an expression of faith. He says, we're going to go up there and we're going to sacrifice whatever God requires of me. If he requires me to kill my son, then that's okay. God will have to restore him. I know God has a promise and I know he's always faithful to his promise. He will keep his promise to his people. And that's why he says to Isaac before he ever gets up there and knows what God's going to do. He says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the lamb. I don't know where it's coming from, but the Lord will provide because... His sacrifice is not only an expression of worship, it's an expression of faith. And isn't that what God did? He did provide, didn't he? When he didn't require of him that he would have to kill Isaac, God had brought that ram. That's no accident. Had him stuck in a thicket because you couldn't catch him without him being stuck in a thicket. Amen. Gets the ram, offers him on the altar of sacrifice, and he lets him know this. He lets Abraham, I will always provide. God will never ask of you what God will not provide for you. God will never demand of you or say to you to do something that God will not provide that. And here's another truth that you need to understand about that. Is God will always give more than you ever will give. He will always give more than he will ever ask of you. 
For see, where God did not require of Abraham to kill his son as a sacrifice, God does eventually send his son that dies as a sacrifice. He didn't demand that of Abraham. He didn't ask of that. He didn't require it of Abraham. He required that Abraham would be willing to do it. And God provided another means of sacrifice. But God gave his son, his only begotten son, to die on a cross because why? That's the only hope we had. It wasn't going to be the blood of bulls or calves that's going to forgive us of sin. It had to be the blood of a perfect lamb of God who forgives us of sin. So when you think about sacrifice as worship, when you think about sacrifice as faith, when you think about sacrifice in relationship to God, God is always going to give more than you will ever be asked to give. And he'll always provide whatever you need. That's why it's important to live a life of sacrifice. You want to see God show up? Just do something, do something, give something, act some way beyond what you think you can, and God will show up. He'll bring about a miracle if it takes moving heaven and earth to bring about a miracle for that to be provided. For he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. That's Abraham's experience on Mount Moriah, the mountain of sacrifice. If you read in 2 Samuel... 2 Samuel chapter 24, there's a story about King David and his experience on Mount Moriah. What was that experience? Well, this is towards the end of David's kingship. He is a great king. He's a man after God's own heart. He made mistakes along the way. But he's at the very end of his kingship, and for long he's going to give it over to Solomon, and Solomon's going to be the, the ruler at that time. But before he gives that to Solomon, as he ends out his kingship, he makes a mistake. He decides that he wants to have a census taken of his nation. You know what a census is? That's to count up all the people. Find out how many people there were. God didn't tell him to take a census. God didn't tell him to count the people. David just decided he was going to count the people. And, And there's different reasons why David might want to count the people. One is he might want to count the people to see how many there were. Now that it was a time of peace and he'd won so many victories. He'd taken so many of these people into his kingship. He wanted to see how many people it was, and he was doing it for his glory. Be careful when you do something for your glory. For see, God doesn't want you to get the glory. He wants to get the glory. Amen? It's all about God's glory, not not my glory. It wasn't David's glory, but whatever reason, he might have been doing it to get glory because of how great the nation, how much it had grown. There's a second reason, though, that he might have done a census, because whenever Joab comes back and gives the report of the census, he does not tell how many people are in Israel or Judah, but rather he tells how many valiant men, how many valiant warriors there were. And so it could be that David, whenever he's sent out for the census, is not so concerned about his glory and the fact of how many people there are. He wants to know how many warriors are there. How many men do I have that can fight? How many men do I have in my army who can stand and defend? Because David possibly was beginning to look at his own self-sufficiency in his own resources rather than looking to God. And God does not want you or me or David to look to our own resources. He does not want us to be self-sufficient. He wants us to be God-sufficient. Amen? He wants us to be God-dependent. All the time, God-dependent. I, I need him. I need him. And all of a sudden, he's trying to count his valiant warriors to find out what's his army look like compared to everybody else. Well, as soon as he gets the count back, do you know what happened? It says, read it. It says he got convicted in his heart. 
He got convicted in his heart that what he had done, he had done in sin and that it was wrong. And not only did he get convicted in his heart, God sent him a preacher, a prophet. The prophet's name was Gad. And he came to see David and he said, David, what you have done and the reason you did it, it is sin. And it is going to cost you and cost this nation dearly. God has given you one of three options to choose. You can either choose that this nation, because of your sin and what you did, is going to go through seven years of famine. Seven years of famine. Or it is going to go through three months of being defeated by an outside enemy. Or the last of those, it'll go through three days of pestilence. Think about that choice. Seven years of famine, three months of being defeated by another army, or three days of pestilence. Well, three days is a shorter period of time than the others. Pestilence is in the hand of God versus being in the hand of of another enemy. So David chooses and says, I choose three days of pestilence. Three days for the penalty of sin to rule and to reign over this nation. And that pestilence hit that nation of of Israel. And in three days, 70,000 men died. 70,000 men died from that pestilence. Now think about that. Those 70,000 men could have been, as it's recording just men, could have been those valiant men of war. So all of a sudden, the the ones he thinks he's got and he's proficient and self-sufficient, in three days he's lost 70,000 of those men because of his sin. But God sent Gad back to him. And he said this, he said, God gives you this command in order to stop the pestilence among the nation. God gives you this command that you are to go and you're to purchase the threshing floor of Arone. That's what it says. The threshing floor of Arone. You are to go and to buy that threshing floor. Arone the Jebusite. The Jebusites were, the, were some of the Canaanites who had been there from the very beginning. And they were the ones who lived and dwelt and owned Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place that David wanted to have the, have the capital. He had been Hebron for a while. And he moved to Jerusalem. He wanted to be there. And God tells him, I want you to go and you go and purchase the threshing floor of Aroni. Now, the threshing floor was where they would take the wheat. And they would take the, 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 wet, the uh, threshing sledges. That was wood with all kinds of stuff that was on top of it. Pulled by oxen. And they would lay the, the wheat down on this threshing floor. And they would ride, drive those oxen. And those boards would just crack the wheat and allow it to be on the ground. So it was a high place. But it was really a smooth place where it could take it. It was a mountaintop But it wasn't a rigid mountaintop. It was a smooth mountaintop. And that was the threshing floor of Arone. He goes there and he's going to buy that threshing floor. When Arone finds out that the king wants it to offer an altar of sacrifice there, he says to him, King, listen, you don't have to purchase it. I will give you this. I will give you this land. You can have it. Not only that, I'll give you the sledges made of wood and you can use that for the fire of the altar. Not only that, I'll give you the oxen that I'm using to pull those sledges around. They can be your sacrifice. Everything you need, everything you need, I will provide for you. For you to offer that sacrifice here on this altar of sacrifice on my threshing floor. 
But David said, no, it cannot happen that way. It can't. You cannot give to me those things, but rather I must purchase them. I must purchase them. For I cannot come and offer a sacrifice on the altar of sacrifice, listen, that cost me nothing. See, my friend, if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. It's only a sacrifice when it costs you something. And David said, I'm not about to let you give it to me, but I will purchase it from you for I, listen, I must be willing to pay and sacrifice must cost me. So Aroni sells him that. And, and at that time, David goes and he offers on the altar of sacrifice there something that he has purchased, something that he has bought on that threshing floor. And the very final verse says, and it moved the Lord. His sacrifice that cost him something moved the Lord. And the Lord heard the entreaty of David, and he stayed his hand, and the pestilence stopped, and death ceased. Because what? He offered an altar of sacrifice, something that cost him. What do you learn about sacrifice there? Sacrifice is an expression of repentance. It's not just an expression of worship. It's not just an expression of faith. It's an expression of repentance. I'm sorry, God. We all need to know how to continuously repent. Amen? I hope you still repent in your life. Don't say, well, I repented when I was seven and got saved. You need to repent more than that. Amen? Repentance means that you recognize recognize that you have sinned. David recognized he'd sinned. And God said, you're going to offer a sacrifice. But not only is it is an expression of, a, of repentance, it is also an expression of the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? Death. Do you know why all those people died? Sin. And boy, it hits David in the face that what happened to me and what I did and what I caused was sin and it caused death. But the penalty of sin is death. And on that sacrifice, he offers those on that altar of sacrifice, those oxen to pay that penalty and it moves the heart of God. Do you know if you ever want to move the heart of God, one of the things you're going to have to do is you have to learn how to sacrifice. You have to learn how to sacrifice. We say, well, what does that threshing floor have to do with Mount Moriah? Because the threshing floor of Arone is called Mount Moriah. It's the very same place, the very same place where Abraham offered Isaac, so God gave the command, buy Arone's threshing floor and offer the sacrifice there. You say, well, Brother Mac, how do you, how do you know that that's, uh, that threshing floor is Mount Moriah? I'm glad you asked that. Turn in your Bibles, turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, because I want to give you somebody else's experience on Mount Moriah. His name is Solomon. His name is Solomon. He helps us to understand that this is Mount Moriah in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan. Ornan is another name for Arone. On the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. 
So you can go back now and you say, wow, where David offered that sacrifice was Mount Moriah. So here is the mountain of sacrifice. On that mountain, Abraham offered Isaac and God said, I am the provider. On that place is where the altar of sacrifice in order for God to stay his hand and to heal the land when David sinned on Mount Moriah. And now comes the time when Solomon is going to build the temple. David wanted to build the temple. God said, you can't build a temple. You're a man of blood, but I will let your son build the temple. God gave to David all the instructions about the temple. He gave to him the opportunity to collect everything that was going to need for the temple. He gave everything except he couldn't build it. Solomon was the one who built it. And now that Solomon has become king in chapter three, verse one, it says, now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Today, the, well, in February, our group went, we had a group that went to the Holy Land, and we went on Temple Mount. Temple Mount is where now there is the mosque, the Dome of the Rock. You've seen that before, but that is where the temple dwell and where the temple one day will be again. That temple is called Temple Mount, and that is Mount Moriah. The very same place where Abraham was, the very same place where David was, is the place where the temple was built. And that temple was built there as an expression of all those things, expression of the worship of God, the faith of God, the, the faith of the people of God in God's word and promises. It was a place of repentance. It's a place for the penalty of sin as they offered sacrifice. There. All of those things are true. But it also was something that Solomon helps us to understand. If you flip over a couple of chapters, whenever they get ready to dedicate and to ask for the presence of God into that place, they do it by sacrifice. And Solomon prays in, in chapter six, he prays and he says, God, we built this beautiful place and it's a wonderful place, but God, if you don't come and dwell it, it's no more than a horse stall. <laughs> and God, we want you to come here. We want you to, to, to dwell this place. We want you to anoint this place. So when they're pleading for, when they're pleading for, the presence of God and the anointing of God on that place. You know what they're doing? They're offering on the altar a sacrifice. And as he pleads and as he offers that altar, look what happens in chapter 7, verse 1 of Second Chronicles. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. God's presence came. You know how God's presence came? Because they offered those sacrifices. A sacrifice that says, God, we're pleading for you for your anointing and for your presence. If you want the anointing and presence of your life, God's going to lead you to offer sacrifice. You're going to be giving sacrifice. It's going to be beyond you, beyond what you can, but not beyond what God can. Amen? And whenever you do that, begin to experience the anointing and the presence of God. But not only that, notice what happens Whenever in beginning in verse 4, it says, The king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. King Solomon offered sacrifice of 22,000 oxen. You hear that? 120,000 sheep. Thus the king and all the people, here's the word, dedicated the house of God. See, sacrifice is not just the expression of worship and faith and repentance and penalty of sin or even the fact the anointing and presence of God. It is an expression of dedication. <laughs> Whenever they've dedicated this temple, 22,000 oxen, would you like to have that job? Offering them on the altar of sacrifice? 120,000 sheep. All of that sacrifice because they're dedicating this to God. 
They're dedicating this to God. All of that has to do with sacrifice. Now, Abraham had experience on Mount Moriah. David has experience on Mount Moriah. Solomon has experience on Mount Moriah. And all of that surrounds that it is a mountain of sacrifice. Amen? Now, let me tell you some good news. And then turn over to Hebrews 13. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ died on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Absolutely. We need to say that. He offered himself on the altar of sacrifice as the perfect lamb of God. Therefore, we don't have to go and kill bulls and calves. We don't have to have 120,000 sheep to come and to pay the price for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. Flip here in Hebrews back to chapter 10 for just a minute. I want you to hear what it says in verse 11. Talked about in their day. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, talking about Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. When Jesus offered his life as a sacrifice, that was the sufficient sacrifice, and there need be no other sacrifice. There cannot be any other sacrifice. We do not offer the blood of anything because the blood of Jesus is ever sufficient. So therefore, you do not have to go and sacrifice as did Abraham and David and Solomon. But hold on a second. You are still called to sacrifice. You're still called to sacrifice an expression of your worship. You're called to sacrifice an expression of your faith. You're called to sacrifice as a repentance of your sin. You're called to sacrifice in order to understand the severity of the penalty of sin. You're called to sacrifice because you want the presence and anointing of God in your life. You're called to sacrifice because you are dedicated totally and absolutely to the Lord God himself. You are called to sacrifice. So what are you to sacrifice? There, back to chapter 13 of Hebrews. This is what it says. Listen. Through him, verse 15, through him, that's Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Hey, wait a minute. This is after chapter 10. You don't, you don't have to offer those sacrifices anymore. Jesus has paid the price. This is after chapter 10. But he says, to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. He tells you what it is. That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. That's the first thing. You know what? One sacrifice that God wants you to give. He wants you to give thanks to his name. He wants you to move beyond yourself. That's a big sacrifice sometimes, isn't it? He wants us to move beyond ourselves, stop thinking about ourselves, talking about, talking about ourselves, focused on ourselves, all in ours, us for no more. He wants us to forget about that, and he wants us to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, it says, to his name. And how do you offer that prayer, that offering, that sacrifice to his name? Because he was the ultimate sacrifice. He has saved you from your sin. And he wants you to give something beyond what you have. and Beyond something what you are. And that is thanks to his name. But that's not all. Look what it says in verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing and giving. That's what it means. 
Another sacrifice, do not neglect doing good and sharing or giving, for with such sacrifice, God is pleased. Do you know why you were created? To please God. You, as God's creation, were created one purpose, to be pleasing to God. How can you be pleasing to God? That you offer to him sacrifices that require of you to do good, that require of you to share and give, that require of you to do beyond what you can, something that's going to cost you. And whenever you do that, that is pleasing to God. That is pleasing to God. He wants his children to be people of sacrifice. But it does, and it is not sacrifice if it doesn't cost you something. It isn't a sacrifice if it's not beyond what you can do. Asking him to do it. Asking him to provide it. That's what sacrifice is all about. And we of all people, when, when Solomon's given 120,000 sheep, we of all people ought to say, I would like to give more than that. We, we need to have a burden on our heart that we'd give more than that. Why? Because what Jesus did for us is far more significant than what those sheep or oxen did for Solomon. What Jesus did for us is unbelievable and incomprehensible. And therefore, whatever he would require of us to sacrifice, we should say yes. As an act of worship, as an act of faith, as a statement of our dedication, we should say yes. Show you one thing, we'll be finished. You say, well, how does this Hebrew passage relate back to Mount Moriah with Abraham and David and Solomon? Glad you asked. Look what it says in verse number 10 of the same chapter. Chapter 13, listen. We have an altar, talking about that altar sacrifice. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, he said, we as children of God, we of the New Testament era, we have an altar that's way beyond the altar of the temple. Go on, look what it says. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest are an offering for sin and they're burned outside the camp. Talking about the blood of bulls and sheep. But look at verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. You know what's one of the neatest things that you see when you go to, and I encourage anybody to go to, to the Holy Land. You go to the Holy Land, you can spend your whole time just in Jerusalem to me. When you see Jerusalem and you sit on Mount Moriah and you see that holy city, you see the walls around Temple Mount. And it's just amazing how small an area the, the holy city is and how small the place was that was all those events of the New Testament happened. From Temple Mount, you can just see from Temple Mount, just right over from Temple Mount in the same mountain region, the Moriah Mountains, the Moriah Mountain region, not a different set of mountains, the same mountains, right outside the city gates was a place called the Place of the Skull, which is called Golgotha, which we know as Calvary. Outside the city gate, same mountain range. It says Jesus went outside of that gate. He hung on that cross. He died on Mount Moriah, the Place of the Skull. 
as the ultimate sacrifice. As the ultimate sacrifice. Therefore, you and I should be more than willing to sacrifice. Whatever God asks of me to give him thanks, may I sacrifice it. To do good to others, may I sacrifice it. To share and to give out of my resources, may I sacrifice it. To give beyond what I think I can, but not beyond what he's able to provide, hey, may I sacrifice it. Amen? May I do it. That's why I do not apologize to you as a, as a fellowship. I do not apologize to you as the children of God, as Parker Memorial family. I do not apologize to you when I am beckoning you and encouraging you and inviting you to sacrifice. To sacrifice to do what God would have us do. Amen? To sacrifice to accomplish God's purpose and establish whatever ministries he chooses to do. I will not apologize for that. Because of two things. One is that sacrifice is pleasing to God. And secondly, that sacrifice moves the heart of God. And if I could encourage you to do one of these two things or both of them, do something that's pleasing to God and do something that moves and touches the heart of God, then I will always encourage you to do that. For when that happens, your life will never be the same. It will never be the same. But you will not know of that until you trust God and let God teach you how to live and sacrifice. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.